Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about the tragedy of Sarah's plan in elevating Hagar, her maid, to marry Abraham and how it backfired into a home of hatred. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or you can find Friendship with God on iTunes to download all the messages for free. Now, you can also take your iPhone, iPad, Android, or smart iOS device and go to friendshipwithgod.org. Once you're there at the website, you'll find information right there on the homepage on how you can add the Friendship with God podcast app on your smart device, all for free. So again, navigate to friendshipwithgod.org. And we want to thank you for your listenership. We want to encourage you to support Friendship with God by donating online at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Call us now or after the program. 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor as he continues teaching us from the book of Genesis about the tragedy of Sarah's plan, his wife, and elevating Hagar, her maid, to marry Abraham and how it's backfired on her. In sin, there's always a plan. And then there is the result. And the result is not what was planned. And Sarah had planned to use Hagar, her maid, to build her up by giving her children. But Sarah had also planned that Hagar would stay in her place and remain submissive to Sarah and not regard herself as anything more than just Sarah's maid. But, as we're going to see, the result of what Sarah had planned was not what happened. And Hagar no longer reviewed herself as Sarah's submissive maid. So the problem went like this. God had his eye on the child that Abraham and Sarah were going to have. Abraham had his eye on Eliezer, and God had to straighten him out. Sarah had her eye on Hagar, and unfortunately, what happened, happened. So tragically, we read the last phrase in verse 3. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Those words remind us of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.17 where it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the man for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it. See, hearkened unto the voice of his wife. Adam could have said something like, uh, for 18 months, I haven't spoken with my wife because I don't want to interrupt her. <laughs> anyway, he hearkened to the voice of his wife. So verse 2, Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. That's a very important phrase. Hearkened to the voice of. That phrase, hearkened to the voice of, means that it's the voice of the person that's persuading the person, that's persuading not what they're saying. It's the voice, not the content. That's the same phrase that Rebecca used to command her son, Jacob, to do what her plan, what she wanted him to do. She wanted him to lie to his father, her husband, and say that he was Esau. And then she wanted him to leave home and not be killed by Esau. So what it says, she said to her son Jacob in Genesis 27.8, she says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. And later in Genesis 27, 13, it says, And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and fetch me them. 
go get the goat and so forth. And then in the end, in Genesis 27:43, she says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thee to Haran, my brother, to Laban, my brother in Haran. So, you see, in all these cases, Rebecca is saying, Don't listen to what I'm saying, listen to my voice and do what I'm saying. And so Rebecca is saying that. She says, Don't think about what I am telling you is right or wrong. Just hear my voice. And obey what I'm saying because of who I am and not because of what I'm saying. That's the same idea in verse 2 when it says, And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Abraham wasn't thinking if what Sarah was saying was right or wrong. All Abraham heard was her voice, Sarah's voice. That's Sarah's voice, my beautiful wife. So he obeys what Sarah was saying because of who she was, not because of what she was saying was right. And that's where he went wrong. That's where he went wrong. He hearkened to the voice of Sarah, not to the voice of God. He was not listening to what she was saying. And that's a great warning for us. We need to hearken to the voice of God, which we hear in the scriptures. We hear the voice of God and not the voice of anyone else. Even someone may be so very near to us, even our own voice, our own heart. We shouldn't follow our heart. That's very dangerous. Follow your heart. That's the hearken to your own voice. After telling Abram in verse 2 what her plan was, and after really leaning on Abram with this I pray thee to go along with her, now he goes headstrong into making her plan become a reality. She goes headstrong. And it says in verse 3, So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. That's a long time. And gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. So verse 3 is putting to us in a very synced way what the issue was. And the issue is, in verse 3, starts off by calling Sarah Abram's wife. Now, we know who Sarah is. You know I mean? We're not dumb. We've been reading this passage here. It doesn't happen to identify him as Abram's wife. But I, the scripture identifies her as Abram's wife to crystallize the issue. This was her title. And what's happening here and what this is about is the destruction of her title. She destroyed her position as Abraham's only wife. And so notice how in verse 3, Hagar's title is also emphasized in Sarah's mind. That was all Sarah wanted Hagar to remain, just her maid. But it all backfires. And what we're reading about is just a tremendous backfire for Sarah because of what she had made Hagar which is emphasized in the last part, she made Hagar to be Abraham's wife. And this was Sarah, Abram's wife, who took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And so Sarah's plan was for Sarah to continue to be Abraham's only wife and for Hagar to continue to be her maid. But the result was that Sarah elevated Hagar to be Abram's wife, and that wasn't what she planned. And we're just like Sarah. We're going to look at Sarah. We're just like Sarah. Sin blinds us to what will actually be the result. We're just like Sarah. The plan is all we see. We can't see what the result's going to be. That's why we need to do what it says. You might want to turn to it. You know it already. Proverbs 3, 5-7, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Don't think you're smarter than the average bear. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So when Sarah justified disobeying God by blaming God for restraining her, Sarah was not trusting in the Lord with all of her heart. Sarah allowed her heart to see God was not good. To her. When Sarah came up with this plan to use her submissive maid to get a baby, Sarah was leaning to her own understanding. 
We can just picture Sarah one day looking at Hagar and said, boy, that's my ticket out of barrenness. There she is. Her name is Hagar. My ticket. When Sarah came up with this plan to use Hagar to build herself up, she wasn't acknowledging God who said that he who made them one flesh, Abraham and Sarah, were going to have the baby, not Abraham and Hagar. So she really thought she had a great plan. She really believed she had a great plan. She was wise in her own eyes. And it was evil for her to give this other woman to her husband, and she departed from God. So we see the tragedy happens in verse 4. He went into Hagar. She conceives. When she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So now we see how Abraham did what Sarah wanted to do. She conceives just as Sarah had planned, and then it all went wrong. Huge backfire. And that's not what Sarah had planned. And we see how Hagar now starts to see herself very differently. And Hagar sees that she has conceived. She's carrying Abraham's long-anticipated baby. She sees herself as a tremendous elevation in her position. She no longer sees herself as Sarah's maid. I mean, there's always a doubt. Was it Sarah's problem? Was it Abraham's problem? Now we know it was Sarah's problem. It wasn't Abraham's problem, the fertility. So now she sees herself as equal with Abraham. No, not just equal. She's above Sarah because now she's the favored wife. She's the more fruitful wife than Sarah. And we can just picture the whole scene as her belly begins to grow with Abraham's baby. And we can see Abraham's joy. And he better not smile too much around Sarah as he's in deep trouble. And we can just see her flaunting her fruitfulness before Sarah with that flair of, hello, madam, barrenness, meet Mrs. Fruitfulness. Oh, boy. And then comes those squinted, jealous eyes, that flash towards Sarah of, who are you? Despise. Now, this is no longer shalom in the home, <laughs> put it mildly. This home has become a battlefield of hatred between Sarah and Hagar. And this is a whole backfire. And if we compare Eve with Sarah, we can ask the question, did Eve and Sarah actually receive what they wanted? Well, yes and no. We can say that. A definite yes for both of them because Eve's eyes were definitely opened as she hoped. When she ate the fruit, it says that in Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of both of them were open. And Eve had planned to have her eyes open. And sure enough, her eyes were open as she had planned. She got to know good and evil by experience. And for Sarah, she had planned to have the baby with her maid Hagar. And sure enough, she got the baby. She got the child she hoped for. But there was a definite no in both of their cases, because Eve wanted to have her eyes open with a new understanding, but what happened was that she actually lost her sight in the blindness to sin. She was blind, and Eve was very much like Samson. Samson had a lust of the eyes. He wanted to see the beautiful women. That's what he wanted to. He told his father that in Judges 14.2. He said, I have seen a woman. All about his eyes, see. He was interested in building up the repertoire of beautiful women that he could see, seeing them uncovered with his eyes. He wanted to see that. He wanted to build that up. And he saw them all right. He saw the beautiful uncovered women. That was his goal. So yes, he got his goal. He achieved his goal. But the end result was not what he planned. Because as he executed the goal of building up his sight, he ended up losing his sight in Judges 16.21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. So by not obeying God, he lost his sight that he was trying to build up. 
And by not obeying God, Eve lost what she was trying to build up, her sight. And by not obeying God, Sarah lost what she was trying to build up, her house, herself. She lost it. That was Sarah's plan. And because she executed her plan, she got the baby, but the opposite happened. And she didn't end up, she was torn down as the unfruitful wife of Abraham. She didn't end up building up the house. She ended up tearing it down with the strife of two women because she didn't trust in the Lord with all of her heart and she leaned to her own understanding. She was wise in her own eyes and she departed from God. She tore it all up. She had grief and heartache remain in her house till all of her days of her life. She didn't plan on this at all. Hagar's name means flight or fugitive, like a rebel. Her son, Ishmael is described that way, verse 12, later on down. He's a wild man. Uh, Every man against his man, a man against him, and so forth. And so now Sarah, she turns on Abraham in verse 5, and the strife is happening between them. The wedge is coming in. She says, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maiden to thy bosom. And she starts to conceive and despise. And now the Lord judge between you and me. Oh, that's a nice home. And so we see here in verse 5, she's admitting that she's wrong, but she blames Abraham. Somehow it's Abraham's fault. And poor Abraham, he's smart. He doesn't say anything. You know, Abraham, he says, I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. But, (laughs) all right. So he's in a very difficult position, and he responds to her. He's smart enough to see, I am not touching this. He says, Hagar, you're made. You do what you want for him. But this is his baby that Hagar is carrying. This is not an easy thing for him. It's very difficult. He's in a very tough, tough position. And this is a home of tragedy, absolute tragedy here. Now, God forgave Sarah. God forgave Abraham, but the scars remained. All the rest of their lives, their house was ruined like David. In both cases, Eve and Sarah, they would have said that their intentions were good. Eve would have said, I just wanted to be wise. Sarah would have said, I just wanted to have my house built up. But in both cases, their plans involved sin. And they introduced polygamy into the home. Sarah introduced polygamy into the home. And every time you saw this, this was a terrible thing. We see this in the case of Elkanah's home with Hannah and Penina and Jacob's home with Rachel and Leah. My father was divorced and was married and divorced five times. And there was one person who benefited from those five marriages and divorces of my father. And his name was Tommy. Okay. When I grow up, I silently watched my father get married and divorced five times. And I resolved that when I got married that I would never get divorced because I watched it all in the home. And so this January, thank God, we'll celebrate our 44th year of marriage. Now, there's one person who benefited from this conflict between Sarah and Hagar, and his name is Isaac. And Isaac grew up in this home of strife, and he quietly watched this horrible conflict in Abraham's polygamy there, and he resolved he's never going to get involved with polygamy, and he never did. Isaac stands out unique as a person who had resolved to have one wife, and he had one wife, and her name was Rebecca, and we should all be like Isaac's. We should all be like Isaac's. Why? Because Isaac learned from the mistakes of others. And the Bible should be for us our tool to learn from the mistakes of others. And our environment should be our tool to learn from the mistakes of others. We live in a world of marriage and divorces. Men taking new wives, women taking new husbands. And as we look around and we see all the tensions caused by it, we should be like little Isaac, just quietly learning from it and say, I'm going to learn from the sin of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for teaching us this morning. Lord, help us to retain the lessons we've learned in Jesus' name. Amen.
Tom, today you talked about Sarah making a bad decision in life. Who are some of the other examples in the Bible of those that made bad and good decisions that we can learn from today? Well, the first one is way back in the book of Genesis where we have the contrast between Abel and Cain. Now, oftentimes we talk about Abel and Cain, we say, well, Abel made the right decision because he brought the blood offering and Cain made the wrong decision because he brought the grain offering. But that's not actually the worst decision that Cain made. What we find there, when we look carefully in Genesis 4, is that God tried to work with Cain. God really poured out his heart to Cain. It says there in verse 4, Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Now here comes a decision. It says, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. That was Cain's decision. Yes, he made the wrong choice in terms of his offering, but worse than his wrong choice for his offering was when he realized that God did not have respect for it. Instead of humbling himself, instead of looking to God and saying, God, where is my correction? Where have I gone wrong? Show me so that I can I can do it right now. Instead of doing that, he hardened down, he became headstrong and stubborn, and therefore he was very wroth and his countenance fell. That was a bad decision. Now, What's so interesting here, as I mentioned, is you see God pouring out his heart and his, to, to Cain and trying so much to work with Cain. And it says in verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. See what we see here in God? We see God saying, Cain, 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 come to yourself, Cain. Cain don't you understand that if you do well, you'll be accepted? In other words, God was saying to Cain, Cain, if you repent, you'll be accepted. Cain, if you bring the right offering, you'll be accepted. Come, Cain, come, return, repent, come back to me. That's a wonderful picture that we see there of God. And then he says, Cain, if you don't do this, if you don't do well, sin is lying like a leopard ready to pounce on you. It's lying at your door. And it says, unto thee, shall be his desire. You're going to be an enslaved to sin. It's not going to be good for you, Cain. You won't be happy in life. You'll be a slave. You'll be a prisoner. This sin is going to rule over you. So God is reasoning with Cain. He's saying it's just like God. You see God here, as he said in Isaiah chapter 1, where he said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And just the fact that God is saying that that place, let's reason together. We see God doing that with Cain. He's saying, Cain, 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 let's sit down and reason together, Cain. You don't have a chance of being successful if you go down this road of sin. You know, that's what God's doing today. God is saying to the world, he's saying to sinners, he's saying to those who are going away from him, can you really think you can win the battle against God? 
Do you really think that? Come to yourself. Come to me. I'm a good God, God is saying. I will take care of you. I'll receive you. I'll save you. I'll make you a child of God. I'll I'll, I'll rejoice over you. It'll be good, 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 God is saying. But unfortunately, it says in Genesis 4.16 that Cain's ultimate decision was this, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. In other words, Cain said, I had enough of you, God. I've had enough of all this. I'm out of here. I've got people to meet. I've got things to do. I've got pleasures to enjoy. I've got a life to live, and it doesn't involve God. So he slammed the door on his way out when it says he went out, so to speak. He went out from the presence of the Lord. That is the ultimate worst decision that anyone can make, is to turn their back on God like Cain did and end up in hell like Cain did. So that's the worst decision that a person can make. Now, on the other hand, a bad decision, and that's always those bad decisions are always seen in the light of the good decision, is among the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, rather. So here we have Judas. Judas, one out of 12, he made a very bad decision. What was Judas' worst decision? He loved money more than God. It says in John 12, 4 through 6, then saith one of his disciples, now is Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then John says, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. See, the heart of Judas was a lover of money more than God. A lover, and we see that very often today, a lovers of pleasures more than God, a lovers of possessions more than God, a lovers of things more than God, a lovers of reputation more than God. You fill in the blank. Lovers of could be anything. Lovers of a Corvette car more than God. See, that was Judas's main bad decision in who he decided or what he decided to love. He decided to love money more than God. That was a bad decision for Judas. Then we have Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are explained to us in Acts 5, 1 through 3. It says a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession and they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, let's just say this. What they did is that here were many who were who were providing for the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And so they were selling their possessions and taking the money and putting it at the feet of the apostles and so forth, who were then doing the distribution to take care of the needy uh, Christians. See, that was what was going on. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they sold the possession and they wanted the reputation that they were giving everything for this purpose. They were really sold out for God, giving everything to God. See, they wanted that reputation, but in reality, see, they secretly held back part of the price. And so then in verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now, we'd step back from this and we ask, what was the problem? Ananias and Sapphira were pretending to be what they were not. 
They wanted the reputation of being super saints and and, uh, sold out to God and dedicated and devoted to God. They wanted that reputation. They loved that reputation. But in reality, they weren't what they appeared to be. They were hypocrites. They had a secret life. And they loved reputation more than God. And they loved what this part of this money could that they held back. They loved that part more than God. And so, therefore, they made a bad decision, two bad decisions. One is to hold bar, part of the same. But second, they made the bad decision to appear to be what they want. In other words, to be hypocrites. So that was... Very, very bad decisions. So there's three very bad decisions that we can learn from in the light of those who made good decisions, Abel, the other 12, and the rest of the church there during that time who were making good decisions. And that helps us to see very clearly how bad those other decisions were. And it teaches us that we need to give ourselves wholly to the Lord Jesus Christ. It all goes back to the first commandment. Love the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. All goes back to that most important, most important one. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Passover will soon be here in just a few weeks, and Tom Cantor has an incredible teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover. This insightful message on DVD teaches the Passover like you've never heard it preached or taught before. This edifying presentation from Exodus chapter 12 and Isaiah 53 in a two-disc DVD production brings to life the process and passion of the Passover lamb for the Jewish people and the personal relevance of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives today. A great gift to give to any Christian or even an unbeliever at Easter Passover time. Now it's also a great gift to give to a Jewish person who may be searching for the truth and evidence of the scriptures and who the Messiah really is. Now we're offering this for a donation of $20 or more today and we'll send you this powerful DVD on the Passover by Tom Cantor. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Again, that's 1-800-247-3051. Or you can go to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org for all of Tom Cantor's materials or to sign up for his daily devotional verse or to donate and support this program online. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time 